You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. Welcome to the business of money. We've got a full house here this morning with Isaiah Mplanga, who's Executive Chief Economist at Alexander Forbes, joining us. Gina Skuman, who is Head of Research, uh, South Africa Economist at City. We have Joanne Bainham from Sterling Wealth, Mia Kruger from Kruger International, and Lindsay Williams, the founder of strictlybusinesspodcast.com. Lindsay, the view from Northern Europe. Have you got a view on our cabinet reshuffle before we go any further into this discussion? Well, I need to put my cards on the table. I'm a political agnostic for a couple of reasons. Firstly, I don't understand politics. I don't understand the people, their motivation for going into politics. So I'm really not very qualified to talk about uh, South African politics. I find UK, US and South African politics very, very confusing. But what I'd like you to put to our illustrious panel is the following. What prompted the reshuffle, first of all? Was it linked to the insurrection, first of all? Was it, in other words, the night of the long knives? Or was it just um, a standard reshuffle, which occurs in every cabinet uh, throughout the world? I just want to know that, and particularly when it comes to the finance minister. Um, the other thing I would say, in, before I hand over to you, is I got this, uh, well, everyone got this tweet from David Shapiro, who's a regular on this uh, offering. It says here, so it was 10 hours ago, suddenly my burger and fries are going to cost a whole lot more tonight because he's in New York. If New York is not expensive enough, thank you, Cyril. Is that the feeling that it, was, it wasn't a good reshuffle? Over to you, Bronwyn. Is, and I'm just going to pick up directly on that, that line of question, and Isaiah put it to you, is that the, the feeling, should we be concerned about the shuffle? I mean, we've all seen the memes, um, you know, no matter how often you shuffle a pack of cards, it doesn't actually change the deck. Uh, sometimes you get left with jokers. Uh, we've all been privy to the social media um, fury around the, the cabinet reshuffle. But are we making much ado about nothing, to borrow from William Shakespeare, Isaiah? I, I think this was overdue. Uh, we had to have a cabinet reshuffle at some point in time. Uh, if you just consider the last couple of months, we had a bit of discord in how um, you know President Ramaphosa's cabinet was coordinating issues. The recent uh, you know responses on the insurrection over the violence in Kazakhstan and Joburg uh, was a case in point where the defense minister would say something different to what the president says, and a, a lot of different views on what led to it and how to characterize it. So that just showed there is no consensus and common view within the cabinet. But as far as the finance ministry is concerned, we know from last year already that the former finance minister, Tito Mboweni, had said actually he needs some time to go and rest. So he has been pushing, as the president said, but also a recent tweet that the finance minister tweeted, which showed a god on a cliff, and he said something to the effect, sometimes I feel like that God essentially saying I could jump over and die, given the, 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 you know, the challenges and the limited resources. Are we comfortable in terms of uh, who is coming to pick over from him? I think, uh, in my view, it makes sense for a ruling party to take the head of its economic transformation committee, who has been tasked or entrusted to crafting the ruling party's policies, to be the finance minister. So from a technical point of view, he understands policy. 
in, in, in no way is he new in the policy space. He might be new in, in the finance ministry, but as far as policy is concerned, uh, he, he understands it very well. He understands markets. He understands speaking with investors. Remember in 2017, when we had all the debates about expropriation without compensation, he played a crucial role in making sure that the way that it was framed, it was uh, you know, quite conducive for the banking sector because he understood that the banking sector has massive exposure uh, north of 160 billion to the commercial agricultural sector. So if you take the initial wedding of the expropriation without compensation, it was going to result in you know, a significant sell-off in the market. But he was instrumental in making sure that it, it's wedded correctly and that it lends uh, you know, appropriately to investors. Went on to communicate with a lot of investors explaining exactly what the intent and what was not going to be, to be, to be touched. And that was quite crucial. And again, in the debates of the basic income grant currently, which I believe is going to be his biggest test, uh, you know, as he comes into the finance ministry, uh, there's a lot of push for a basic income grant. And uh, he, he lays bare his views as far as that is concerned in the Business Day article that he, he, he penned last week, where he recognized the need for short-term you know, measures to help those that are impacted. But his view is you know, long-term is not the best way to actually address the, the long underlying problem. So from, from that perspective, I think, uh, in my view, we are in good hands uh, from a technical point of view, policy, understanding markets, uh, and also understanding to talk to investors and what investors uh, want in order to actually plow their, their billions into the South African economy. So as a, let me bring uh, Gina in here. And, and Gina, I was watching your Twitter feed last night. Uh, we saw the spike uh, in the the graph, the currency graph that, that you put out. Obviously, the pressure um, on the rand, the dollar rand. Uh, in fact, Bruce Whitfield, you know where it started, where it ended, and and certainly there was a retracement. Global uh, investors potentially spooked by a lot of of the the news flow during the rounds around the cabinet shuffle. But but weigh in with your view um, from a city perspective. Well, I think that spike is always going to happen. I mean, no finance minister has been, no one's been able to predict the finance minister changes um, in a very close way ever since 2015. And while there were some underlying discussions leading into this that, and there always is really, that Tito Moeni could have left, um, you know, that's been an ongoing rumour basically since he's taken office. Um, Enoch, who I must get used to calling him Minister Godongwana, um, he was rumoured as a potential candidate. But I think the mere fact that you're going to move someone in the finance ministry, given how important fiscal policy is, you're always going to have that knee-jerk reaction. And remember, the statement started by saying Tito Mweni is stepping down without immediately announcing the replacement. So there was a, a break between knowing that the, uh, that Mbaweni was going to step aside before, of course, um, the markets found out who exactly it was. And when Enoch Gwana was announced, you started to see that retracement. And I totally agree with Isaiah here. I mean, Mr. Gwana, or again, I must get used to calling him Minister Gwana, um, has really participated in a lot of, of my interactions with investors at City. I mean, exactly to the point of land expropriation. I mean, it was Enoch who added those very more investor-friendly um, end part of the sentence 
saying that this can't threaten food security. Um, this must be done in a way that is still market friendly. When it came to Saab nationalization, um, you know, a quick call to the now minister meant that he came into our office and did a conference call with global investors around the world. Again, watering down those Zuma policies, saying, don't worry about Saab nationalization. The Saab is independent and strong. You know, nothing will change in monetary policy. Similarly, prescribed assets. You know, I've had many, many uh, dinners with offshore investors around the table uh, with, uh, I keep wanting to call him Enoch, with the minister. Um, and again, he getting it right. Definitely <laughs> after this session, you will be calling him Minister Godongwana. <laughs> but he has such a, he's had, I mean, he does his very, very not recent past might come with a couple of question marks, but he's more recent past over the last five years. He has put in a lot of effort of, of trying to make policies that come out of the ANC more market and investor friendly. And I think that's certainly going to echo across um, offshore investors. But last thing I will say is I, again, completely agree with Isaiah here. His biggest test will be how he manages expenditure, particularly his position on social grants, because that's become the big debate and no pun intended, the big debate. So, Mia and, and uh, Joanne, I'm going to get you to follow here. When can you remove your past? So, obviously, we have both Isaiah and Gina weighing in with uh, some very astute policy uh, thoughts from Minister Godongwana. But I now need to bring in the journalist in me. 2012, we know that there are headlines out there. Godongwana lied to inquiry, we know the issue around Canyon Springs, 50% uh, owned by Godongwana and by his wife, um, 100 million rand in pension fund money. And I spent a lot of time last night going through these articles, um, including you know the robust policy documents that I've seen that Isaiah sent me uh, from a business day perspective um, that Godongwana penned last week. So, Mia, talk to me about character when it comes to a finance minister. And I'm not, you know, inferring that you, you need to, to make a, an assessment here, a judgment call, but just the principle of character. Yes. So, I mean, you can, as you mentioned, you can never remove your past. Um, and any allegations that came about and around your name will will in this day and age of social media and of the media being covered so widely, will be with you forever. But the reality is that we need to work with what we have. And here we have someone who is capable of doing this job, who is well-versed and very well-informed on the market. He's market-orientated and he's an ally of Cyril Ramaphosa. And when it comes to a president and a cabinet and a president that we know uh, came, came into power in South Africa when the country was already in a crisis, uh, you had to really work hard to just establish some sort of stability. It was very difficult for him to work with a group of people that weren't supporting him. And it's like Sia Khaleesi Saturday. If Sia runs ahead, he doesn't want to know, even look behind him. He just wants to pass the ball and know someone will be there to catch it. And um, Cyril didn't have that in his cabinet. So this reshuffle, I agree with, as a, has been long overdue uh, for him to surround himself with people that will actually support him. And you cannot do this job by yourself, just as Sia Khaleesi cannot win the Springbok rugby game by himself. We know this. 
Um, so the reality is that he needs to work with what he has. And I think that he is doing that in a way that will 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 help him do his job in a better way and, and save South Africa from the issues that we are sitting with. Because the reality remains that there's, in my view, no one really better to do this job than, than Cyril at this stage. I wanted to throw in one more headline, Lindsay, but can, mm -hmm. can I do that? You know, Godongwana found liable in pro. For me, I just, I, again, I go back to character for a minister of finance, which is such a sensitive portfolio. And if you are a foreign investor and the first thing you do is you Google the new South African finance minister and, uh, um, you know, a, 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 a barrage of negative headlines, which are not, I mean, we are here, it is said, found liable in pro. These were, you know, very serious commissions that were put in to investigate the scenario um, at the time. It, it, so, I don't know, Lindsay, you want to jump in, but I do want to get Joanne's view. I, I know I'm the one trying to roll up the undercurrent here. I'm going to let it go shortly, uh, and I'm not going to be a dog with a bone. Joanne? I think just back to Mia's point, I mean, he's a strong ally of Cyril, and I think this is what it's actually talking about. Yes, he has potentially a checkered past, and I haven't read up enough to know enough about it. But, you know, the cynic in me says almost all politicians have some sort of checkered past. Yes, as a finance minister, you want them and you dream of them being squeaky clean. The reality is that doesn't always work that way. I think if you look at his policies today about land expropriation, if you look at about his policies about trying not to trying to control costs, trying to get growth going in this economy, because that's what we really need in this economy. We need growth. And he's saying in one of his comments I read last night, that he realizes they're 5 million taxpayers and you can't tax them to the hilt. So these are things that I like to hear. He's saying is, let's actually start to grow this economy. Let's control costs. Yes, his past is not great. In an ideal world, we'd have a finance minister who's squeaky clean. But if you look around the world today, there are not many politicians that have a perfect ethical scorecard. Yeah. And why should Africa be massively different? And just back to the point that Lindsay started, you know, the currency markets weakened, but then didn't move very much. The, no. the reality is we're in a commodity cycle at the moment. Our balance of payments are improving. It's why our deficits are looking better. That's what the markets really care about. We as Africans always seem to be obsessed that foreigners are looking at our politics. They're not really. What, what they're looking at is our economy and where growth is coming from. And if it, the commodity cycle is flying, it's all they really care about. Let's be brutally honest. You just answered my question. I, I was going to. I was going to say to you, the, the the people in London are sitting there and saying, "Okay, there's been a cabinet reshuffle in South Africa." Yes, it's important for the country internally, domestically. But on the other hand, it's not going to affect the way whether I press the buy or the sell button on my rand desk. The the market is far bigger, and when I say the market, I mean the inflows and outflows, the supply, the demand for rands and foreign currency far, far bigger than internal uh, political reshuffling. Uh, so just have a look at the trade balance and the deficit numbers that have come out recently, which have been incredibly positive, and just say, well, this is a blip, and maybe it's even a buying opportunity. And I don't think that David Shapiro's burgers and uh, chips are going to be that much more expensive uh, tomorrow than they are today. I, I just think this is a minor little, um, uh, as I say, blip on the chart. And I think the RAND has behaved far better than the last time the finance minister or the uh, head of the Reserve Bank was, was changed. Look back historically, 
We've done very well, I think. Well, I can't fight with people who don't want to fight with me. I mean, you don't want to join me in this. So I feel like I've arrived at the wrong party here. I, I don't know why I got myself so hit up overnight reading all of this, um, uh, you know, all of these articles. But anyway, all right, I let it go. Isaiah, talk Brian to Wynne, you. Sorry, Brian Wynne. Um, I, I thought it was more upsetting that the Minister of Health just resigns without some sort of, you know, issue about that because he's clearly there's something very dodgy going on there. I find it much more upsetting the Minister of Tourism is, to me, should be a very important post. And we've got somebody in that position today who doesn't appear to be lied to Cyril. I find those things concerning. So the Finance Minister, yes, we can all jump up and down about it. But the other parts of his cabinet also worry me. And I'd love to hear Gina's, Gina's view on what it means that he's bringing security more in-house. Because I find that quite interesting as well. Well, so what I was going to jump in against... The, the views on the very near term is that certainly for this year, you've got the commodity price benefit. It's not going to last forever. So I think, you know, while we're looking at exactly how the currency is reacting right now, we need to be very mindful of how steep our yield curve is because it's exactly what you were saying, Joanne. If you take the, the accumulation of this cabinet, cabinet change and you start thinking down the line, what does it mean if the presidency more directly controls security? You know, what does it mean if a finance minister could start shifting the policy direction? Um, all those unknowns are going to start being collected in your medium to longer term risk premium. So, you know, right now, the announcement of these cabinet changes, particularly the finance minister, might fare quite well in the markets, especially because it can be offset by these massive terms of trade gains. And honestly, the budget deficit is actually quite an easy one for, for Mr. Gonanguana to inherit at the moment because it's probably going to beat expectations this year, even after the fiscal stimulus. That said, what does this mean for 2022, 2023 onwards? You know, how does this impact going into the ANC's policy conference next year? What are the policies that are going to be prioritized at that conference to go into that elective conference? Because from where I sit, if those policies prioritized, given a seemingly stronger Ramaphosa with a stronger, more pro-Ramaphosa cabinet, if those policies in the middle of next year do not reflect a stronger reform push going into his seemingly second term, assuming he does it, well, then we know who's in charge and who's not. So I think, I think it's more the steepness of the yield curve that gives us a much better signpost for what these political changes mean than just where the currency is trading today. Now, if I can add to Gina's mm -hmm. points, we, we need to remember that the rent can move 20 cents on any given day without anything changing locally. Uh, it moved 20 cents yesterday. Why should we, we happen and, and puff about it? It's not really that significant and it came back actually. If you just take from, uh, you know, May to, to where we are, it, it is within, within range uh, and obviously much, much lower than where it went with the, the violent protests. And to Gina's points, it's still too early to tell on what the medium term impact is going to be. Uh, is this a reform cabinet that we now have? There has been some important moves uh, that I, would, I think I would just point out, particularly as far as the separation of water from human settlements. Water is the next big crisis in this country after electricity. Uh, and that recognition is very important. And you take Senzo Mtunu, who just negotiated a public se sector wage settlements, which I think uh, is it's, it's the best given the, the current environment, 
um, but also stayed firm as far as pushing back against the demands of labor. You now put him into uh, the Department of now Water Affairs and, and Sanitation. I think that is a very important development. But also, if you look from the ICT sector, uh, I think the, the, the departure of the former minister to a different uh, you know, ministry, I think that's also important because there wasn't much confidence as far as the technical abilities or the, tech, the engagement with investors that are involved in the ICT space. Just take the issue of spectrum. For a very long time, we've been waiting for spectrum allocation. It still not has been, not has, it hasn't been done. Uh, but if you just take, when we went into the hard lockdown, we had spectrum being released within a week, which means it's possible. Now, why has it taken so long to make sure that we actually auction that, that spectrum, bring in billions of funds that are going to be invested in the, in, in the economy? So that development for me is, is, quite, is quite important and positive. And remember that Mboweni did make comments at his most recent media briefing on fiscal stimulus that um, the problem with spectrum is ultimately corruption, which was probably deemed less appropriate as a comment and and might have, you know, um, added to the fact that he he finally just took too much pressure to step down. But look what they've done in reaction to that. Can I just make a point here as a political agnostic? And often it's you get too close to certain subjects and you you, you go into the minutiae of, of the detail of the situation. But look at me as an idiot from, from Northern Europe. Um, Isaiah said something earlier on. He said, we're in good hands, which is great. I'm glad he's confident about that. And I'm sure a lot of people are. Um, and I think Mia said, Mr. Ramaphosa has to work with what he has. And that's a, a sad situation. He has to work with what he has. In other words, there's not the skills there to work, uh, to expand your workspace. In other words, is there a lack of succession in the South African politics? Is there a lack of skills? And Bronwyn, you can put that question to whichever commentator you choose, but it, it's, very, it's very difficult because it's almost like it's an ever-decreasing decrease, circle in South African politics when it comes to the skill set. Uh, I mean, Mia, I want you to come in here, um, given your commentary on that front in the first place. Um, and again, it comes back to that analogy of, of shuffling the same deck of cards over and over and, uh, you know, how deep that pool of talent really is. Many are saying it's, it's relatively shallow. Well, the, the reality here is something that we've also been talking about for quite a long time, and that is the, the, the collaboration between the private sector and government. And I think Isaiah touched on that, and that's the, that's the key. You know, government, we've known this for a very long time. It's not a South African um, isolated problem. It's a worldwide problem. But governments aren't very good at um, allocating capital and aren't very good at um, doing, you know, bringing the best businesses to the, to the fore. But we know private sector is. And private sector is very keen to work with government. So we need the right people in government to facilitate these relationships and to actually accept these relationships in a, in a, um, in a responsible manner and do, do their part and enable these relationships to bring the best economic growth to the fore. So that's really the, 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 the solution in South Africa. There's been a couple of academic, rather academic papers by some economists in South Africa over the last couple of months on this issue, that South Africa's growth and economic um, stability really depends on government allowing the private sector to, to, to do their, what they do well and make a lot of money and earn a lot of taxes on that to really 
bring South Africa out of the debt issues that we currently sit with. So I think it's more a case of enabling the, the right relationships than it is of, um, you know, um, making a judgment on the skill sets of the current, uh, um, the current uh, people in, the, in their posts. Joanne, you want to come in here? Can I add something that I think is quite important? Uh, you know, there's this tendency sometimes to, to liken you know, a national treasury with any other department. And the fact is, it is not. Uh, you know, in the political space, there is pushback to say treasury is a super ministry, uh, and there has been that pushback over the last couple of years. But it is a super ministry. When you want investors to pour their billions, you don't send any other department, you send national treasury people. Um, and as far as that is concerned, I, I, I think the way Treasury works, uh, it is a very well-oiled machine. There are things that you can do, even if you want it to, because of how you know the, the legislation around its function works. So you would remember with uh, you know former Minister Manusi Gigawa when he went there, uh, you know he quickly understood that uh, treasury is a different animal altogether it's not like any other departments uh, such that even when your, your views are that populist there are some things that are not possible to be done and it has a lot of technocrats that are not politicians whose job is to make sure that they produce the right numbers they give the right advice uh, that you, it's very hard to go against. And if you talk to people that are in Treasury, I think that's one of the strengths that we should take comfort on. I mean, the, the most important uh, people are the DDGs because ultimately they are the custodian of what happens in the National Treasury. Uh, the political head can change. We've had so many ministers, but Treasury has stood firm because of that technocratic uh, backdrop that Treasury has. Joanne, I want you to come in and then, Lindsay, I, I know we're running out of time and, and our panelists have got busy days ahead of them. So you're going to drive just the concluding comments you're going to get from everybody and I will close the show formally. But uh, Joanne, just to close out this section, I know we've taken up our time today largely on the politics, but I do think it is very important given um, what transpired yesterday. Uh, Joanne? I've got to tell you, I, I walked into today's meeting probably feeling a little bit depressed about the history of our finance minister. And at the end of today's meeting, I'm going to feel a lot better. It's clear from both Azai and Gina that he's got the credentials, he knows what he's doing. And if I listen to the two of them in the short term, he might be the right man. Longer out, I hear Gina's concerns about our, our debt problems and our very steep treasury curve. So let's worry about it longer out. But right now, I'm, I'm feeling a lot better than I did when I walked in this morning. So thanks, Bronwyn, you've created a really good discussion. And well, I'm feeling yeah, I feel a bit better about things. I'm also feeling much calmer. So thank you, Isaiah, Gina, and, and Mia as well for coming in and, and, and putting, you know, a really rational view out there. Lindsay? Yeah, I must admit, looking from afar, I'm, I'm obviously completely dislocated from, from uh, my former life as an as a honorary South African citizen. But uh, I think that the South African uh, president has conducted himself admirably. It could have been, as I said earlier on, the night of the long knives and could have been uh, much, much worse. And I, I think he's done well with what he has, uh, what he has to, to, um, to, uh, to oh, what's the word work. I'm looking for? <laughs> to work with. I'm just looking at what he has to work with. That's it. That's what uh, Mia said earlier on. So well done. And the RAND 
don't worry about too much about the RAND. Worry about the US jobs data at 2.30 South African time mm. this afternoon. That might be more important. And before you know it, the political reshuffle after the Sunday newspapers will be forgotten. So it'll all be about the, the jobs data. Well, let's get a quick view, uh, preview on what you are expecting from that jobs data. And let's go around the table. Is it a focal point for you, Mia? We'll end with the economists on this because they'll be looking keenly to that number. Yes. Uh, is it a key number for you, Mia? They'll give us some better insights than I can. But what I can tell you is that we saw the uh, the private sector jobs number in the middle of the week, and it was slightly softer than anticipated. So the fact remains, let's just spot on there, that will have a much larger impact on the RAND because it's all dollar-driven, and uh, that's, at the end of the day, what drives the RAND. Joanne? Look, I think back to Mia's point, ABP's disappointed in the week. The private sector numbers were bad. The market is expecting bad numbers of the states tonight. The surprise will be if they're better, actually, because the market is expecting worse. That's how markets work. Uh, And we've seen interest rates in the U.S. at ridiculous lows. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to watch. But as everything with economics will be forgotten about it by Tuesday, but it'll be very exciting today. And so the media cycle moves. Gina, that jobs number, what are you anticipating? I do agree with Joanne here. I think that it's going to be very fleeting. Um, and in the end, we will continue to have an interest rate debate on the Fed for a very long time. It certainly makes for a more volatile currency when that data comes out. But again, very fleeting. Um, I can't see the currency coming under huge amounts of pressure this year so long as commodity prices remain, you know, as supportive as they've been. And going forward, you know, our own interest rate decisions certainly in some way mimic global trends and the Fed, but don't move along with it from one meeting to the next. So, you know, our own conduct of interest rates will be done independent, depending on what our SOB sees inflation doing in the future. Isaiah? I, I agree with the point that have been mentioned. I think the other aspect that we need to also take into account is, yes, we might have seen peak earnings, peak growth, but the expansion continues. So even if the jobs number is lower than expected, it's just going to be a retracement in terms of the US dollar direction, but overall it will continue to rise because the expectations about the Fed continue to inch closer to an earlier uh, quantitative uh, reduction in uh, interest rate hikes than ever. Thank you very much everybody for joining us for the business of money. I think this was a really, really important conversation. We all come out uh, a lot well. Certainly I do, Joanne comes out calmer. Um, and, and sense will prevail. Can't wait to actually get this out to the, the broader audience. So, so thank you. Lindsay Williams, founder of strictlybusinesspodcast.com. Isaiah Matlanga, who's the chief executive, chief economist at Alexander Forbes. Gina Skuman from a city near Kruger, Kruger International, and Joanne Bainham from Sterling Wealth. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for joining us on The Business of Money. The views and opinions expressed in these podcasts are those of Lindsay Williams and various contributors and do not reflect the policy, position or opinion of any other agency, organization, employer or company associated with strictlybusinesspodcast.com. Assumptions made on the analyses are not reflective of the position of any other entity other than the speaker or the author. And since we are critically thinking human beings, these views are always subject to change, revision and rethinking at any time. Please do not hold us to them in perpetuity.